0: Whoa!
1: And as always, we have a jam-packed week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. We've got a number of things going on. Today is what's called Meat Fair Sunday. In other words, this is our form of Mardi Gras. This is the last time that we eat meat in preparation for Lent, because we give up eventually dairy products all during Lent, according to the Byzantine tradition. But also, we're working towards, at the same time, the really what is the ending feast, the ending moment, event of what was the Christmas season. And that is the encounter of our Lord in the temple with Simeon. And we're going to talk more about that a little bit later on in the program. But right now, we got to prepare for Lent. And we have just the perfect person to help us do that. One of our old friends here, longtime friend. He's not old, but he's an old friend, meaning he's been with us for a long time here at Light of the East. His name is Jack Fiegel from Eastern Christian Publications Glory to Jesus Christ, Jack. Welcome again to Light of the East.
2: Glory forever, Father. Glad to be here. How are you?
1: Good, and you're going to help us because this is such a a weighty time of the year, this Lent, so I'm going to need someone else to help me prepare the audience for Lent. And you've got just the right recipes, don't you? The right ingredients.
2: (laughs) Well, I hope so, yes. uh, (laughs) Lent, or known as the Great Fast, is Mm -hmm. probably the most intense period of prayer and spirituality in the Byzantine Church. And uh, we have a number of uh, wonderful spiritual books that are uh, specifically oriented towards this Lenten season.
1: Okay, let's hear about them. you got a number of them, I know. I know and uh, again, people can find out right away. I want to get it up front there. and They can find out about you by going to ecpubs.com. Is that right?
2: Yes, ecpubs.com. And we have a tab at the top of our new website called Featured, which are the featured products for this Lenten season, where you'll find all of these books available for purchase online.
1: Okay, well, tell us about all your goodies.
2: All right. Well, I'm going to go in the order, uh, sort of in reverse, in which they were published. Uh, We have a brand-new book, just come out in the last week or two, called Hearts of Fire, A Personal Encounter with Jesus, by a fellow named Ed Kleingudel from Houston, Texas. And uh, he's written his book about the Jesus Prayer from an Eastern perspective. The Jesus Prayer, of course, is the prayer that we say uh, when we hold our prayer rope, our chutki. And uh, there's a special rhythm and and spirituality associated with the Jesus Prayer. So that's a brand new book that's uh, just come out uh, for this coming Lenten season.
1: But, you know, and and Jack, it's interesting because the author, this Deacon Ed, he is a, I guess, a bi-ritual deacon, right?
2: Yeah, if you could call him that. Uh, (laughs) He's uh, ordained to serve in the Roman Catholic Church, but he has such an interest in the Eastern Church that he has special permission from his bishop, which is Cardinal DiNardo of the Houston-Galveston Diocese, uh, to serve in the Byzantine Catholic uh, parish in Houston, where I actually uh, lived for a couple of years back in one of my earlier careers. Uh, (laughs) A a beautiful little uh, converted Baptist church into a Byzantine Catholic church.
1: Oh, wow.
2: Ed served both in the Roman Rite and in the Byzantine Rite.
1: And again, his book is Hearts of Fire, A Personal Encounter with Jesus. So, what else have you got? Uh,
2: The second book published uh, last year is called Unfinished Business by a lady named Marianne Salis from the Northeast Pennsylvania region. And it's a book of daily spiritual reflections specifically designed for Lent. A beautiful little addition to her collection of books in which you... uh, Do daily reflections as you have your cup of coffee in the morning. One book (laughs) she's published is called Java with Jesus. The second one is called Cappuccino with Christ. And uh, now we have one that's specifically designed for Lent called Unfinished Business.
1: Of course, having your cup of coffee, uh, you you can't have it with milk or cream, right, during Lent, right? That's right, that's
2: right. (laughs) If we had more time, I'd tell you a, a cute little story about a cream and coffee and, and so forth at an ecumenical event, but I'll pass for now.
1: Okay, next time.
2: <laughs> yes. The next book, going sort of backwards in time, is a coloring book for children of the icons associated with the weeks of Lent, and also then the weeks after Pascha, up until Pentecost, called The Colors of Tradition, Lent and Pascha, and these are... Uh, black-and-white drawings of icons that my father, John Fiegel, did for me a number of years ago. And it's, uh, again, a special book just for Lent, uh, but oriented towards children.
1: Jack, what, were these, what are these pictures, what are the drawings of that the kids uh, would color? The
2: first half of the book are the uh, icons associated with the Sundays leading up to Pascha, or the Sundays of Lent. So we have the first Sunday of Lent, called the Sunday of, of Iconography yeah. or the Sunday of Orthodoxy, in which icons were reestablished in the Church. Then we have the Weeks of the Cross and the Week of St. Gregory Palamas and the Week of Mary of Egypt, and we have Palm Sunday, of course.
1: Oh, well, what, a, what a great way to get the, the children really involved in their Church and the liturgy.
2: Yes, yes. Each Sunday has a specific theme all through Lent, and these icons are beautiful little hand drawings of actual icons Eight and a half by 11 in size, a nice big coloring book, that uh, children of all ages, from the youngsters with their crayons to sort of middle school children who might want to use uh, nice coloring pencils to make a beautiful icon out of it as part of their, uh, their school program or, or their program with their parents at home.
1: Well, after our program, my next call is to our ECF coordinator to order these books. <laughs>
2: <laughs> then we have two books that uh, have been out for a number of years. One is called Journey Through the Great Fast. It was a collection of daily reflections put together by the Byzantine Catholic Catechetical Office in Pittsburgh, with laypersons and clergy from across the country, each one giving sort of a one-page reflection on each day of Lent, and the collection is called Journey Through the Great Fast. And then the last book that I'll mention is entitled Our Paschal Pilgrimage by our friend Bishop Basil Lawson of the Ukrainian Catholic Church, now retired Bishop Emeritus of Stamford, Connecticut where he explains the liturgical traditions of the Slavic churches, Ukrainian, Ruthenians, and so forth, for each of the weeks of Lent and Holy Week, with a a wonderful catechesis or education about what we do during Lent and why we do it.
1: Well, those are the things that you offer for Lent. However, for those of you who are listening, Jack is the head of what's called Eastern Christian Publications, and of course their website is ecpubs.com. And you have many, many, many kinds of resources for people wanting to know more about the Eastern Churches. So often, Jack, people ask me, you know, they want that one-stop shopping, that one place to go. Where do I go? Where's a book I can learn more about the Byzantine Church? And, well, it's impossible to go to any one place, but your place, your resource, certainly is a great place, isn't it? Tell us a little bit more about what else you offer at Eastern Christian Publications.
2: Yes, well, we have a number of categories of books. I think our titles now number over 100. And the best place to start is a section that we call Introductions. And it's a collection of different introductory books written by different people that explain the Eastern churches from different perspectives and give people an overview of, of who are the Eastern Catholics, who are the Eastern churches in general, and what they believe and what how do they pray. And then we have other collections in biographies of famous people, histories of various churches, the spirituality of different churches, the theology of some of the the leading scholars, and then uh, we also have a collection of liturgical service books, prayer books for private use. We also offer, uh, as part of Eastern Christian Publications, the Sunday bulletins that parishes used and hand out across the country. We, we service nearly 300 parishes, and so almost any Byzantine Catholic church you walk into, if you look at the back of the bulletin, it'll say Eastern Christian Bulletin Service, and that's also part of our products
1: and that can all be obtained by going to ecpubs.com ecpubs.com but wait there's more from Jack Fingle Jack tell us about Orientali Lumen
2: Well that's another little sort of side hobby we have uh, the Oriental Lumen Foundation a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the Eastern Churches but also dedicated to ecumenical dialogue between Catholics and Orthodox And in 2016, this coming year, we have a number of very exciting events. The first, which will be our 20th anniversary conference in June on the theme creation, our shared inheritance. And Father Tom, we're very much looking forward to you coming and being one of our plenary speakers in June here in Washington.
1: Yes, I'm looking forward to being there. Thanks
2: for Uh, inviting me. Then later in the summer, we're uh, going to be announcing a pilgrimage to the Transcarpathian region of Ukraine to visit Marian shrines as we did last year and then in October we're planning a pilgrimage again with Viking Travel to uh, visit Rome and Constantinople and uh, hopefully if all goes well have a private audience with both Pope Francis and Patriarch Bartholomew and if uh, we get the blessing of the bishops and uh, move forward we're hoping to have a concert tour of the choir from the Ushodi Seminary in the September time frame, in various parishes across the Northeast and Midwest.
1: And to find out about Oriental Lumen, the conferences and the trips, where can people go?
2: That uh, direct website is olconference.com. There's also a website called seminaryconcerttour.com, And we'll be launching in the next few weeks a brand new website where everything is linked together called olfoundation.net. So oh. there's olfoundation.net is the new one that people can start with, and then the others uh, will be integrated and come along with it. But people can go to the if they want information about the conference in June, and to Seminary Concert Tour to find out information about the concert tour coming up in September.
1: Well, Jack, you're obviously a very busy man, so we're going to let you go and get back to your good work and tend to those orders that hopefully are coming in, especially to ecpubs.com for those great Lenten resources. Thanks so much, Jack, for stopping in here at Light of the East, and we will catch up with you again.
2: Okay, thanks very much, and have a blessed Lent.
1: God bless. Thanks, you too. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
0: Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. As a married couple, how would you like to give each other the gift of love itself? then this is for you. Hello, I'm Father Thomas J. Loya, and I am inviting
1: husbands and wives to join me and the team of the Tabor Life Institute at St. Nicholas Parish in Munster, Indiana on Saturday, February 27th, and at St. Basil's Parish in Sterling Heights, Michigan on Saturday, April 30th, for Embracing the Mystery, A Day of Recollection for Married Couples. Our presentation weds together the sacramental liturgical worldview of Byzantine spirituality and St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body to rediscover the why of marriage so as to know the how of a happy sacramental marriage. We will also integrate what goes on in church with what should go on in our homes. For information and to register, visit TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. Or call 708-645-0762. 708 You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
0: You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Will Cook Road Homer Glen Illinois 60491 and may god grant you
1: Welcome back to Light of the East, I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. As I mentioned earlier in the first part of the program, we have a very rich week coming up. It's already started here. With today, is, I mentioned, meat fare, like the Byzantine Mardi Gras. We eat meat for the last time as we give it up for the rest of Lent. Lent hasn't begun yet, but what we do is we give things up in stages, because that's much more human, actually rather than go cold turkey. We give meat up this week, and then next Sunday we have cheese fair, which is the last time we'll eat dairy products. So that by the time Lent actually starts, we move smoothly, hopefully smoothly and serenely, into the rigors of asceticism, of increased prayer and fasting. We give up meat and dairy products all during Lent. At least that is the Byzantine tradition. And during this Particular day of Meat Fair Sunday, there's a theme, as there are themes throughout the Lenten season, especially on the Sundays of Lent. Well, these pre-Lenten Sundays have their own themes, such as today. Fair also carries with it the theme of the Last Judgment. So we read the Gospel from Matthew 25, you know, where he says that you must, you know, feed the hungry and clothe the naked and, and visit those who are in prison and so on. Otherwise, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven yourself. And in our liturgical prayers, we sing things like this. When you shall come to render just judgment, O righteous judge, you shall sit upon your throne of glory. A river of fire shall flow before your judgment seat. The powers of heaven will be there with you. Filled with fear, all humanity will be judged according to their deeds. At this hour, O Christ, spare us. And because of your great love, grant that the faithful who prayed to you may be given a place with your chosen ones. I weep and lament when I think of the outer darkness and eternal fire, together with Hades, the worm that consumes and the gnashing of teeth, the unceasing grief that falls upon those who have sinned without measure and who have provoked you to anger, O God most good. Alas, among these sinners I am the first. But in your great mercy, O judge, save me. Many verses like this, as you can see, they're deeply penitential, almost seems like we're beating ourselves up. But actually, when you think about it, they're very, very realistic. They're very honest. I mean, just think about the time we just came through, which is just ending now, as I mentioned, with the upcoming feast of the encounter of our Lord in a temple with Simeon. Imagine the remarkable action of the incarnation, of God's humiliation for us, humbling himself, coming down to earth, being one of us taking on circumcision, and eventually he will suffer and die for us and, of course, rise. But imagine that. What else can we be in light of that? In light of that reality, but humbled and repentant. In other words, it highlights our own unworthiness, our own sinfulness. This is not a negative thing. This is actually a positive thing, which is why we call Lent in the Eastern churches the bright sadness, See how it's two complementary words, or seemingly opposite words, bright sadness. It is sad because we understand and look at our own sinfulness in light of the goodness of God, but it's bright because in looking at our own sinfulness, we're motivated to repent and to renew, and so we become our true bright selves. So the two things go together, and that's very indicative of the genius of the Eastern spirituality. We're very good at living in the both end. How can something be bright and sad at the same time? Well, it can. That's called a mystery. You don't figure it out. You just kind of live there, live in the intersection of two opposite or complementary realities. In our case, it's the sadness of our sinfulness, of facing that sinfulness, honestly, and doing something about it going into ascetical disciplines such as fasting and the prostrations that we do and the long penitential services. And during that, we can sense ourselves becoming renewed as though we were shedding our old selves and taking on our new and real selves. It's really a marvelous, marvelous experience. It's a rich, rich time, this time of the great fast, the bright sadness. In other words, this time of Lent. But speaking of brightness, we have a very bright feast day this week as well on the liturgical calendar, both of the Eastern and the Western lungs of the church, as St. John Paul II referred to it as, in both the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Catholic Churches, we celebrate the feast of, and it's got a couple names, the encounter of our Lord in the temple with Simeon. It's also called the purification, and it's also called the presentation. What we're talking about is that story in Luke chapter 2, where Jesus is presented in the temple as a boy by his mother, and foster father Joseph. This was according to the law, the custom. At a certain time, the child would be presented into the temple. And as Jesus is presented there, an old man receives him named Simeon, the elder. He had waited all his life for the coming of the Messiah. And as the Christ child is placed in the hands of the just elder, Simeon He proclaims these memorable words, O Lord, now you may dismiss your servant, for my eyes have seen the glory of your people. And it's as though Simeon had no more reason to be on this earth. He maxed out this life. I mean, how much greater can you get than to hold God, the Messiah, in your own hands? What else can this life offer? Now it is time to go on to the next life, for nothing can be greater now. And this is the theme of this particular feast day, and it brings to conclusion what started in December with the birth of Christ, and that is the process of illumination, of manifestation, of a showing forth of God's glory, God's mercy from his birth to his circumcision, his presentation, the temple, his baptism, it was one event after the other of God. We say that he humiliates himself, meaning he humbles himself. He brings himself down and submits himself to his own laws. These laws were made, as you recall, in the Old Testament for the Jews. Laws are made for sinful people. We need laws because we misbehave. We don't always do things the right way just naturally. So we need laws to help keep us on track, to we arrive at that freedom in the Spirit, as St. Paul talks about. So God did not need laws. He's perfect. He made up the laws for us. And yet he submitted himself to those laws, even today, being presented into the temple. We call that the presentation of Christ in the Western church. In the Eastern church, we prefer the word encounter. Simeon encounters Christ. And as always, these Biblical events are our events. Our lives are not history lessons. We are encountering Christ. Christ is being put into our hands and we should proclaim and exclaim just as Simeon did, "Now you may dismiss your servant lord because my eyes have seen a light of revelation to the Gentiles." We have seen the light. That's all the more reason why we need to repent. Isn't it interesting how the two themes, the two cycles of the liturgical year are coming into a a confluence together. The brightness of the incarnation and then the sadness of our repentance as we prepare for Lent. But the two work together. Now, a little bit of the history of this feast it goes back a long way, this observance, all the way back into the 4th century. Now, I'm going to read a little bit from a wonderful series that you can get from the Byzantine Seminary Press. It's called the Leaflet Series, and it talks about the history of this feast. It says, The oldest written account of the solemn celebration of the Feast of the Presentation of our Lord dates back to the 4th century and is the work of a Spanish nun, Ageria, who kept a diary of her pilgrimage to the Holy Land toward the end of that century. In it, she writes, and listen to this, the 40th day after Epiphany is indeed celebrated here in Jerusalem with the greatest solemnity. I'm going to stop there for a second. You notice I said Epiphany? We would actually say it's Christmas because it's 40 days after Christmas. Well, this gives you an indication of how Christmas was observed back in the fourth century, early on. It was actually observed simultaneously with Epiphany. It was one continuous event, as I've been saying during this program, of a showing forth, a manifestation, whether it was Christ being born, revealed in the flesh, the Magi coming to visit him, or the revelation of the Trinity at Christ's baptism. Notice the same theme is there, It's fundamentally a showing forth. So, in the early centuries of the church, they actually celebrated Christmas together with Theophany and Epiphany. It was a little bit later on, they started to separate it out. So, it's interesting that this nun in her diary, as she made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem during this feast, that she uses that word Epiphany instead of Christmas. Now, the pamphlet continues. On that day, there is a procession into the Anastasis. Now, another interesting word. It means resurrection. The Eastern churches call the church that's over the sepulchre and the place where Christ died on the cross, they call that the Church of the Resurrection, Greek Anastasis. In the Western church, they call it the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. All assemble there for the liturgy, and everything is performed in the prescribed manner with great solemnity. Now, it seems at the early date, the feast did not have a specific name and was simply called the 40th day after the Nativity or after Epiphany. Later, though, it was called the encounter of our Lord and also the presentation, but also the purification of Mary. Because remember, that was according to the law. When a woman gave birth, according to the law, she had to wait 40 days because she was considered richly impure. meant she had to present herself into the temple with her child, to be what we call today as churched, in other words, repurified. That was according to the Old Testament law, and it's contained there in Luke chapter 2 at this wonderful account of our Lord's encounter in the temple. A brilliant time as we move into the time of the bright sadness. Thank
0: you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media.